0: There's something about there's some, there's something about a microphone that uh, increases intimacy. I think in conversation, yeah, it's,
1: like, it's like meeting somebody in a dangerous situation. Apparently, that also increases intimacy. Really? That like if you're if if I'm terrified of heights and I'm stuck on like one of those hanging bridges yeah. and you cross my path and help me out, okay. I you're. it's one of those like shortcuts to falling in love with people things as is asking people series of questions so I mean it's totally true the like now we're going to be best friends for an hour like we'll walk away with a with a strange sense of intimacy I assume well
0: I found that even when I interview like some of my best friends who happen to be writers when we're done the last thing we want to do is look at each other we want to walk away because i think there's this thing where we want to have sex or a cigarette and then we just don't want to see each other for three days and then 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 we talk again so <laughs>
1: that's hilarious Well, now i'm a little bit afraid of this interview <laughs>
0: no no don't worry it's it it's we don't know each other it's actually a lot easier for me
1: hi i'm saski vogel and you're listening to drinks with tony okay now do one really nervous Hi, I'm Saskia, Saskia (laughs) Vogel, (laughs) and I'm having drinks with Tony. Tony, yeah. yeah, No. Get on the drinks with Tony show.
0: Yeah. All right. Now the intro. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Saskia Vogel. Her debut novel is entitled Permission, and she was, she's also an editor at AVN Media Network where Saskia reports on pornography, adult pleasure products, etc. Hi, Saskia. Hi, thanks for being on the show.
1: Hey, Tony. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah,
0: so now that we started off with the weirdness, let's just get to even more weirdness.
1: All right. Let's be awkward
0: awkward for an hour I should call the show awkward for an hour what was I thinking
1: but then it'll just be silence and you never have to do any editing ever it'll just be total silent podcast and then people confuse it with like a mindfulness app and then you'll be a billionaire
0: oh my god thank you for thank you for, <laughs> for thank you for clearing up all of my life's issues I like that
1: that's what I'm here for okay yeah
0: um Okay, I love your book, and I and you're, and you're in conversation with Janet Fitch tomorrow night, right?
1: Exactly. exactly. Yeah. She's
0: fantastic, and she was one of your um, instructors, and what, uh, what do you call it? Um, the, those those people in life that help you along. And A spirit guide. <laughs> that will do spirit guide, I like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, um, I did the uh, Master of Professional Writing program at USC, And we had a fiction teacher at the beginning of the semester that left mid-semester, and she was good. Um, But Janet walked in and, like, whipped us all into some sort of special kind of shape. And, yeah, I remember people were, like, nervously standing outside going, this is very rigorous, you know, smoking cigarettes. And um, I don't know, like, we... She was probably the first person that I like very shyly like I I think I emailed her after I graduated or something like that and um was like I'm thinking about writing a novel that maybe has something to do with an art model but you've written a novel with an art model and I just don't know if I'm allowed to write a novel (laughs) that has an art model in it and um I don't know she's always spoken to me like like I'm a person who can write a book and I have to say like I took a big detour through magazines I it took me a while to find the kind of storytelling that I was really interested in yes. or that I wanted to, to like develop I guess right. so like in a literary direction it took me a while to find that and she was always just a person who like made me think that I could do it and I yeah she's, she's been a sort of spirit guide I guess
0: yeah that, that's amazing so what was it that brought so you went so you went to school uh, for creative writing, is, am I, or is that right, or am I?
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay.
0: What was it that brought you to magazines, and then you, then you thought, "Hey, wait a second, I have a novel in me."
1: Oh, that's a really good question. So, I mean, I grew up in LA, and initially thought I've always wanted to do something with storytelling, and I'm a huge magazine junkie. Like my mom and I used to drive up to, I think it's the Barnes and Nobles in Marina Del Rey had a really great newsstand, or like the yeah. newsstand at Romans and. You know we were both just really into magazines okay. like CMJ was like my destination magazine oh, yeah, yeah, to get yeah, like okay, the free yeah. CD with the 20 tracks like that's how I found out about Ani DeFranco and the uh-huh. Ramones and stuff like that when I was like a little kid in the 90s right. um
0: I was a big kid in the 90s I was on college radio at the time
1: oh that's awesome <laughs> um but yeah I I, I suppose My short story is I, it was a slow, it was like a slow progression from like, I want to do storytelling. I entered in film one summer with Stuart Gordon, who directed Reanimator. And I just found out that, um, I don't know, film wasn't for me. And so I was like, okay, other storytelling. And I kind of narrowed it down to writing in magazines. And I, my biggest dream for a time was I wanted to work at like some Conde Nast publication, probably Vanity Fair. Found out it kind of, presume that kind of thing eventually wasn't really my cup of tea. But I ended up in trade publications. I started writing about fruits and vegetables. My dad's in the fruit and vegetable biz, so that was my in. And because I had experience with trade publications, and because I had done my thesis at USC on a sort of, I think I was imagining that I could do a *Gay to List Thy Neighbor's Wife* about the BDSM community in Los Angeles. I wasn't accomplished enough as a writer to do that, but. I think the mixture of trade publication experience and having done this big thing on the kink community here made me a good candidate for a position at Adult Video News back in, like, 2007, I think. And then I was sitting there, and I felt a sort of itch after a while. I really enjoyed... Well, they
0: clean the set. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, that was a dumb...
1: That was dumb. I loved working there. I yeah, mean, yeah. the amount of lube that I've rubbed onto my gums and, like, vibrators that I've put to the tip of my nose to, like, review product and stuff. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was a really fun job.
0: Wow. Now, why would you put lube on your gums? That might, be a, that, be, that might be an ignorant question for me for not knowing enough about sex.
1: I don't know. Just one of the ways that, like, like, ta- like lube to taste or just one of the ways to, like... Oh, okay. Oh, got like, it, got it, got it. Like, kind of get acquainted with with the product in an office setting in a safe for work office setting yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, in a not safe for work office Um, but yeah I don't know there was just something about my I felt like my writing stagnated or not stagnated but I kind of I was like okay I really love getting this inside look at porn I really like that my ideas about I guess feminism and maybe also labor and what it means to be a sex worker have been really enriched by that experience and you know you grow up like I feel like I was privy to a lot of like anti pornography Mm -hmm. stuff and it you know it's just nice to see the other side and to actually have a sense of it myself which has been important in my work in general Um, but I don't know I just wanted to find a different kind of storytelling I felt myself like moving away from trade writing and I moved back to London Okay. And with like dead set on finding a job in, in literary publishing. Yeah. And uh, I, I did eventually. I mean, there was like, you know, underemployment and all that jazz, but um, eventually I, I made it happen by hell or high water, you know. Yeah.
0: Well, um, what was it with, what was it growing up that uh, that was the anti porn um, mindset? Was Was that just how you were raised?
1: Or? I don't think we ever talked about pornography in my house, but my parents. I mean, I I suppose they're both, like, sex-positive feminists. Um, Like, I didn't grow up in an environment of, like, shame or repression. But I I think, I don't know, I think on some level I was aware of, like, Andrea Dworkin. Or because, I guess, I've always been interested in, in, um, I guess, sex and sexual culture. Like, even when I was quite young. Like, the first clubs that I would sneak out to when I, I went to high school in Sweden... And I was like sneaking out to fetish clubs in, in this in the tiny in the in the fi- town of five hundred thousand people, yeah. um, the like monthly fetish club. And so that was always kind of my space. They played Madonna, you know. Yeah. Other clubs didn't play Madonna, right. so initially it was mostly like I was a bit goth and I liked the music. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I guess I probably was coming into contact with articles because they would interest me. Right. And you know, peop- like society, if I may, just use a giant umbrella, it never really talks about porn. Sweetly, right. it's it's usually you know in terms of um, all the negative aspects. Right. But what I also seeing some of those aspects, there's a lot of value there, and I think what the value of like the, the activists. You know, a friend of mine was like, yeah, of course, always trust a pornographer when they're talking about free speech. Don't never trust a politician. Right. You know, right. these are it's a co- exactly it's a community that's really you know. Interested in keeping our personal freedoms and free speech right. and social justice and very like especially the indie scene, just very community yeah. focused. And um, I, I think we really need to pay a little bit more attention to that when we're talking about big bad porn stuff. You know. Right, right. And
0: and it's so funny because the people who are probably so vocal about it are going home and then jumping on the pornography themselves. It's I, the hypocrisy of our.
1: Those statistics are always really fun to read. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have any in my head right now, I'm sorry. But it's it's always the case. The sort of most anti, yeah. anti-gay, uh, right. super conservative have like some of the most um, incredible sort of porn search histories that are documented because everything is documented in some way online, right? Yeah, yeah. It's,
0: I, I, it's crazy to think about that. All right. Um, oh, it's so funny that you got to go to fetish clubs when you were in your teens. See, I had to subscribe to Surfer Magazine to pretend like I liked surfers for that one shot of a woman in a, a bikini. And that was my erotic uh, teenage years.
1: That's so wonderful. I, I love the way people find, like, so one of the things about Permission, the, the main character, Echo, walks down. So, I mean, it's set in a sort of a hybrid mishmash of San Pedro, Palos Verdes Peninsula. Yeah. Um, I grew up right next to what used to be Marineland. Okay. And um, my dad, who's like, I can't believe you killed me in the first few pages, I'm like, that's not you, Dad. Oh. Um, but we used to go...
0: <laughs> and also, Dad, you know, this is not me. It's me, but it's not me.
1: I know, I know. It's, it's, it's been interesting talking to my parents about the book. Like, they're both into it, but yeah. I think, you know...
0: Do they live, sti- do they live the- in English? I'm sorry. Do the- English is my first language. Do they still live in the area?
1: Yeah, my dad lives in San Pedro. My mom still lives in Sweden. Okay. Yeah. Um, but so my dad and I used to go walking, sort of taking trails down the cliffs. <laughs> and you killed him in the book. Because it, w- it was my childhood fear.
0: <laughs> you know, you bring up a really good point, going to what scares you. Because I think what, going to what scares you when you write is just, it's so important because you it's, mm. the... That's when our that's when we real that's probably why I'm connecting so much with your book because it's like oh she the thing that she feared the most happened. then what happens after that? and it's yeah, I, I love that you brought that up
1: well, kind of it gave me I think I just I think the beginning of the novel, so just to return to porn yeah. on the beaches down there, there's so much porn, oh really, I found so much discarded porn. And so, I mean, that's also a detail in the book, but like that, yeah. So like that was also probably my first encounter with porn was like going down these cliffs with my dad and then there was a cave and then this disused marine park. And I mean, I think that was the first, I found like, I'm really weird to find a DVD box, but i found like gay porn DVD boxes, but also just like porn mags, just like on the beach bleaching in the sun, which is like a really resonant image from my childhood. Ah, that made it into the first like, you know, chapter of, of the book. Yeah. But um yeah, the dad leaning into that fear was kind of what gave me, I guess what turned the nonfiction project I had in my head into something that I thought could be a novel and that was maybe better served as a novel.
0: Yeah, I, well, it's, I think a lot of things are better served as a novel where you, you read a memoir or, or an autobiography you know, biography and it's just like, and hey, then this happened, and then this happened. But when you bring a situation like that into the growth, you know, it feels more like a coming-of-age story. So you bring a situation like that into a character where that is hanging very over the head of the mom and the daughter. I mean, it's, that amps up. Every single scene, I feel like, because that's that's just the big shadow behind Echo.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. Um, I I mean, I think that really pulled... It it really ended up pulling the novel together for me, because I was so stuck about, like, oh, my God, I have to write the perfect sex scene that is absolutely representative of all the dynamics that I'm trying... You know, I put so much pressure on my sex scenes, and I have so many discarded ones, but I think... um, you know, it took me a while to like start weaving yeah. that grief into the later chapters of the novel. Because I think for a while I had been thinking of them two separately. Because mm-hmm. I think I drop echo right into the middle of a lot of questions that came up for me when I was in my 20s in L.A. Yeah. And just sort of, you know, dating and wondering what the heck was going on in the city, right. <laughs> you know, as as a... As a young woman, it left me with a lot of questions. Yeah. So yeah, I was like childhood, that is stuff separate, but the grief really helped me knit it together somehow.
0: Yeah. And when you say like L.A. in your 20s, because I, I think with Echo, the, you, you have one passage that I think I totally like underline. But it was about um, it was about how men started looking at her differently, and that uh, that awakening, which just must be. I mean, you know, nobody looked at me differently. They just looked at me like you got a weird Peter Brady voice. But, uh, you know, but on the other side of that the 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 attention, and then I would also think that's that there's a power there, but there's also kind of like why this now, when I have this I don't know am i I'm pointing to my head mm. and, and but tell me I'm completely off or I'm confusing you or I'm confusing everybody
1: no, I mean i okay, so I have this extremely clear memory of the first time. God, this sounds so weird. The first time that I stopped a car because I just was on the street. Yeah. And I mean, and I'm not sharing the story because I have some sort of extraordinary, like Jessica Rabbit thing going on. Right. But I think any—it's just the power of a young woman, any right. young woman, yeah. kind of in any shape or form. There's a kind of, there's a kind of, you know, that magic of the of the of the sort of maiden form, I suppose. Yeah. And I remember I was. I think it was just before we moved to Sweden, because right, because I was still thinking that I would be a freshman at the local high school. And we went to like, I don't know, Vaughn's or something, the parking lot with my mom. And I remember these two boys who for some reason I was like, yeah, they're in high school because they looked older, but kind of the same age, right. like stopped their giant truck to like make noises at me. Yeah. And I was just like, it wasn't the first time that that had happened. But I mean, it's a different schoolyard stuff with your peers the usual like oh my god who got boobs first and who's wearing a bra right um to like somebody from outside of your world who hasn't spent their lives teasing you since you were six yeah, yeah. you know physically stopping a giant vehicle to just like m- you know make some whistling noises or something i remember just the strangeness of that right. and i mean i suppose that's it's something i really wanted to explore yeah, and, yeah. and like work through in the slow way that you do in a novel and kind of think about how that shapes you, how the gaze shapes you. Yeah. Um, like Echo is quite a passive character. She, I think, she's called Echo. I think I'm like retrofitting this, but I think I ended up picking the name Echo because she does act kind of often in response to things. Okay. Oh, I like yeah. That. You know, like yeah. she she knows how to play off people, but yeah. I think she's kind of doesn't really know how to come from within right. somehow and. In my perception, I think she's probably lost that along the way. Like she probably had, like she probably was operating from within in her childhood in the beginning, but slipped into a kind of space where she really let those outside gazes shape her. Uh-huh. You know, yeah.
0: yeah. I I think that's interesting. That's the that's the might be the coming of age na- narrative as well because we at, at some point we have we're all trying to just find our little hierarchy thing or where we're at. Mm-hmm. So it's you know on every level there's that weirdness of um, I don't know what I'm talking about I sounded like I was smart for a second like like, like say like, like say like say if someone's obese and then at the age of like 12 so then they deal with the world in a very different way because they're being gazed upon especially in the 90s with uh, with a lot of shaming and you know and a lot of hurt and then but to be gazed upon as a as a beauty object of sorts And that's, I don't know if that's the same kind of mindfuck or if, I don't know. It's it's just, it's all interesting and confusing to me, which is life.
1: It is, yeah. I mean, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, actually... It would be dishonest to say that, like, I've been thinking about the gays in this way on my own, because I, I started working as a, I went freelance in, like, 2013, mm-hmm. and I started working as a Swedish to English translator. Yeah, yeah. And one of the first books that I really loved and really wanted to translate um, was by this author called Jessica Schiefauer and it's coming out in 2020 with Deep Vellum. It'll be called Girls Lost. And that book is exactly about, it's about three sort of teenage girls, it's YA, and it's exactly about like how the gaze shapes them. And um, they find a magical flower that turns them into boys for a sort of, when they fall asleep, they get turned back into girls, so they can't, you know. And um, it's basically about how each of them deals with being able to play with the gaze and how they feel when they're able to shift this... um, Shift this perception, and it, it left a really big impression on me, and it, I think informed, actually helped me think about what I had been thinking about in terms of like when you're like being looked at as as a as a visibly sort of like feminine female in, in, in the world, you yeah. know.
0: And then let me specify when we say working with the gays, it's G-A-Z-E. It's not G-A-Y-S, just in case you're coming in on this episode late. And it's just like, what does this have to do with working with gay people?
1: Is it unionized?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, when you're 13 and working with the gays, it sounds weird.
1: It's a San Pedro thing. There's the there's the union at the harbor, and then there's there's we work with and there's the there's the other union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Just kidding.
0: What brought you back to uh, Los Angeles? So you you got to spend time in Sweden and um you know everything that I'm just like sitting there going I would have loved to go to high school in Sweden. That sounds rad. Um,
1: it was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I didn't need a car for the first time in my life. So and I didn't have a license when I left LA because exactly. I was too young uh, in Gothenburg. So okay. Still a West Coast girl, mm-hmm. like, so my mom moved from one West coast to the other and to another West coast. Okay. Um, also another harbor town. Oh, cool. um, yeah, which is yeah, a big theme, I guess, sometimes yeah. in my life. But uh, what were we doing in Sweden? No cars. I could yeah. run around the town by myself for the first time. Yeah. Public transportation anywhere. I just started walking like crazy. Yeah. So it was really it was a really special kind of freedom that um, even as a person with a driver's license, now I, I don't feel like LA offers a similar sense of freedom of movement and uh i don't know i felt didn't feel like i was done exploring i came back to high school in la for a little while for a year moved back because my parents split up and i wanted to finish off high school in sweden and then just kind of uh didn't want to stop being in europe so i did my uh, college in london yeah and then I lived in Amsterdam for, like, three months. Um, and then... And I was
0: just, like, totally high.
1: No, I didn't smoke pot until, like, my last week there because yeah. for some reason it didn't compute that it was okay. I was doing an internship. My stepmother had helped me get an internship at um, Mattel, the company who makes Barbies. Okay. So I'd been working in their design center here in El Segundo. Really? and But she was in trade, and she really wanted me to, like, work with, like, tax classification or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went and I worked with somebody... In brief one of the big things was to like be able to argue that this poly pocket like purse thing doesn't fall under the tax category of purse luxury handbag but falls under the favorable tax toys. category of toy. So yeah. I was allergic to that job. Yeah. I was also 18. Yeah. You know, it was like my gap year between high school and I mean, let's be real. I didn't apply to university fast enough and was really nervous about even being able to have anything to offer, even though I was a really good student. For some reason, I just, I froze and I just, like, had this aimless, that became suddenly very aimed year when uh, I got, when my stepmother helped me get this internship. Oh, cool. Yeah, anyway, and my husband and I now live in Berlin. Um, oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. That's why I'm,
0: that, I knew there was an urgency to get you, even though there was L.A. and the right. there was an urgency that we had to talk. And I was just like, why? why you know, we keep talking to L.A. I'm like, yeah, we could have done this two weeks from now, but no, you live in Berlin now.
1: It's a sister city, yeah. which yeah. makes me really happy. Is it a sister
0: city of Los Angeles? Okay, okay. I, I, how? Um, that's interesting. Is it because the like there's the fi- that film community from germany is there and
1: the i mean i don't know how sister okay. cities are made but oh, okay. in my head i i mean sometimes like we like we as in the my group of friends out there we sometimes joke that berlin is where young people go to retire oh, in the sense that I feel like a lot of us have left bigger, much more expensive cities. Like my husband and I were living in London. um, And I thought I was going to live in London forever. But my gosh, how expensive it was getting. So we moved to Berlin where um, we were able to like reimagine our lives economically and take a few creative risks. And I feel like that's a lot of people's story. And I think in that way, that sort of don't give up on your dreams vibe is is really compatible with like stories people tell about how they get to la and what they want from los angeles i think right. people want similar things from berlin as they do la oh, anyway it's also a very queer city which is really exciting yeah. um and yeah, i don't know other similarities i think it's just that like don't give up on your dreams vibe yeah, yeah.
0: that's cool i like that I, I have a fascination with Berlin in the 80s because that's when Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds were there and, all, you know, Einstein didn't know about, and Wim Wenders was doing his films and I was just like, I wish I was old enough to be, like, there in that time, you know. But, you know, there's kids that are going to be like, I wish I was old enough to be in Los Angeles in 2019. Mm-hmm. So, maybe. We'll see.
1: You can only find out when it becomes history. But have you seen something called B-Movie? Oh. It's a documentary about B stands for Berlin. I don't think I have. It's a music documentary. It's sort of like, it's like half documentary, half like recreations. So you follow a DJ from the north of England or a a music guy, music interested guy from the north of England who comes to Berlin and basically like is totally in in that 80s scene. And so it's a mix of stock footage and like play acted and acted stuff. And it's, it's really entertaining. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm watching that. Yeah.
0: All right. Cool. Now, uh, before we were talking, you you discussed something about the Helsinki Porn Festival. Is that what you... Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, so my... Smash
0: cut, segue. Hey!
1: Yeah, smash cut. Back to porn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then we'll get off of it again.
1: Um. So, my best friend from when I was at university in London, and I lost touch because we're old enough to have not lived through, to have not... Friended each other on Facebook when we graduated university, yeah. and for some reason, like I didn't have her email address, and she moved back to Finland. Like I want to say, like ten years later, she hits me up in Berlin and says, "I'm thinking about starting this um, sort of porn film festival. I've been following your work. You want to come on board?" So I, I volunteer every year. She and a critic, Emilia Mikola is her name, um, and she and a critic called Olaf uh sort of dreamed up this festival for, by cinephiles, for cinephiles, like looking at the potential of the representation of sex on film, which sounds super heady, like, it's on literally right now, Um, unfortunately I can't be there this year, but... um,
0: Because, you know, you have a debut novel out that's just an amazing life goal and achieved.
1: (laughs) But I like to honor my commitments, and I usually do their social media and and stuff, but it's just, this year it's not possible, sadly. But uh, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas is the opening film this year. But we also get some like really cool archival stuff and it's made me very interested, I guess, in like how we archive porn and also how we value our sexual culture. And if we actually valued it, um, I think we'd have much better movies. You know, cause like like early porn, sort of when it was still based in New York before it moved over to LA, from what I understand, it was a lot of like NYU film grads, like working out, like taking their film school energy and like working it out on like The Devil and Miss Jones and stuff, and so you do just have a sort of uh, you, the artistic side of porn. I think is a really untapped resource, and you see it in some mainstream films. But I mean, I guess, I guess that sort of idea about value and the value of sort of like fringe sexual culture is is also what uh, drove me writing the book. They,
0: that what what intrigues me is if they if they found a way to really make story arcs in and some type of pornography, but it couldn't be straight-up pornography because you'd have to have arcs. The scenes would have to be in there for a reason, so you'd have to come up with, you know, I'm going into my, you know, how do we make this act one, act two, act three, and why why do we need this penetration scene in there? But you try to make it in there. Uh, but it, but it kind of has to be there to serve the whole story. Um, whoa, whoa, did I just, you know... Did I just create a new genre? I don't know.
1: You solved porn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be the blurb on my next book. You solved porn, Saskia Vogel. It's
1: great. I, I approve. I consent. Um... I mean, it's how I approach the sex scenes in my book, you know, because I I find that if I'm just typing away at a sex scene and I'm really enjoying it for my own erotic purposes, it's usually just nonsense. And then with the sex scenes in this book, I found that like um, I don't really I kind of write a lot of the run up, but not uh, not necessarily like, you know, what enters what when and what happens and what because it didn't. I wanted to carry the emotional arcs of the character through the sex scenes, and have the sex scenes like really just function as the rest of the narrative functions. Yeah. I didn't want them to be sort of sudden in asides into like purple prose. Right. Yeah. And it's
0: what I find intriguing. I don't have a, I don't have a ton of sex experience. I was like I was a virgin until I was twenty five. After I was married, so that and then I, the sex the second woman I had sex with I was thirty eight. So so I've been coming about this in a fumble. <laughs> he used that term, of uh, fumbling at the coming. Anyway, why did I bring that up? Because, well, because the only thing I've real kind of really learned is just to be really open communi- communication-wise with people I'm in relationships with, and go, oh, and kind of like enjoy the stupidity of it and the laughter of it as well as uh, like all aspects of it. Some people are really not into the laughing part, and the you know it's, it's just like we're, we're silly humans putting our bodies together this is kind of weird and funny isn't it
1: squish I'm, squish squish, yeah. squish. I just, yeah. I, when it's funny just
0: laughing all right well that didn't work let's i don't know i don't know why i went that route maybe it's uh yeah.
1: i mean it's a really it's it's kind of yes exactly i'm just sitting here nodding because okay. um i mean the, like leading into the sort of absurdity of it i suppose or what makes sense in your mind and like as a fantasy it can be such nonsense um, in reality or really really silly and fun and I think especially like in the representations of like my dominatrix Orly, and working with like clients fantasies or also just like with with maybe now I don't remember what I wrote in my book I'm like maybe also with what piggy desires there is a kind of absurdity to like the scripts that you want to get into and and just or this the scripts that make themselves available to you that you want to play out with your partner, right. and it's exactly about that kind of open space. I mean, have you seen that movie, The Piano Teacher, um, the Elfrida Jelinek adaptation? No. I'm just... I just think it's one of the, it's it's such a good movie. It's but on my list now. It's really, really good. Okay. It's Isabelle, I'm going to butcher her French last name, Huppert. Yeah, um, sure. yeah.
0: Oh, you mean Isabelle Huppert?
1: <laughs> oh, you put me to shame.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, that was like the worst American way to say it, I think. That was like saying, like, Hey, save all? Do you save all? I save all, okay.
1: Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, at, at one point in the movie, she writes this beautiful letter, like where she really lays herself out on the line about what kind of sort of sadomasochistic yeah. sort of stuff she's into. In, but, and it's kind of, she's a piano teacher in like a conservatory in Vienna or something and she's seeing this young guy and has like a very overbearing mother that I mean is extremely domineering and so th- there's this tender letter, outside, totally outside and removed from any sort of kink or queer kind, of, but she expresses herself in these terms and like essentially writes this letter like I want you to hurt me in these specific ways and then there's this shift in the film that is just so tragic where like he doesn't know how to read that letter, and he doesn't know how to respond. And it just, every time I see that movie, it breaks oh, my yeah. heart. It's really good. Yeah, that and Bram Stoker's Dracula make me cry every single time. Yeah?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think what I've cried on. I cried on a movie, oh, I cried on Roma. I don't know if you saw Roma uh, the, last year.
1: That was a beautiful movie, yeah. yeah. That
0: one caught me by surprise, because I saw it, I didn't know anything what it was about, I saw it at the theater. And then I'm like, at the end, I'm just like all teary. And I'm like, okay, now let me go see it for technical, you know, as a filmmaker kind of guy. How would I do? And then, no, weeping again. I He, he got me twice.
1: Yeah. Oh, gosh. No, it was really beautiful. I, I mean, I'm really sort of fixed on the cinematography of it. Like, when I think of it, it's it's those shots of, like, I mean, that's the opening shot, right? The airplane flying through the puddle of water. Oh yeah. But also the dog poo, the constant, like, the, the, the usage of dog poo in that movie is so brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or the cleaning of yeah. The frustration with, yeah,
0: and there there was just a beauty. I guess I was just the the storytelling where there's a beauty of storytelling where it doesn't just seem like a lot's happening, but so much is happening, and just to let that let it be. Oh, I, just, I can go on. We can do the whole interview on Roma, but we should stop that because this is about Saskia Volvo. <laughs> Thanks,
1: Tony. <Yeah. laughs> we'll go
0: back to Kursa. I, I, I always pronounce his name wrong. Curson, Curson, Alfonso... Cuaron.
1: Cuaron. Alfonso Quaron.
0: Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, way,
1: oui. Sure, sure. Uper. Uh, <laughs> oh.
0: Um, oh, we were talking about your publisher, because I have an advanced reading copy here. I don't have the final copy. And it was interesting, because you're like, I haven't seen my book this thin before, which, you know, I'm trying to lose weight as myself as well. But I guess, what well, I haven't seen the final book. So the
1: final book's... Oh, man, I've got a copy in my trunk. Because that's my favorite thing about Los Angeles is uh-huh. having a car where you can leave yeah, things, yeah. Really wardrobe change, yeah. snacks, yeah. water. <laughs> I used to keep a basketball in my car because so I was like I'm definitely gonna go play a pickup game. Really? Y- y- never. But it oh, was like okay. an aspirational basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Do you play basketball?
1: I mean, I used to. Like, really? yeah, I, I, I can. I, I'm sporty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, just, I'm not really competitive. Like, I'm really competitive, but not in sports. Oh, okay. Um, what are you
0: competitive in?
1: My own life, I suppose. Yeah? Yeah, like I'm really, I guess I'm really, I'm really ambitious. um, Yeah. But also, oh God, now I'm stumped. I suppose I really want to believe in the work that I do. Mm -hmm. So I suppose I could be ambitious where like, I climb that ladder and like, you know, but I'm kind of, I guess, ambitious in this like weird way that's taken me like, from fruit and vegetable, trade writing via porn into literary publishing, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And then translation plus novel. You know, it's, it's been a weird path.
0: And uh, speaking of your debut novel, how does it feel to finally have a novel out that, that, that I don't know how many years it took you, but the the road is long.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's the idea of it when I thought I could be gay to lease, um, writing Thy Neighbor's Wife again, but for today, and about S&M only. Um, that that was like 2004 so there's been a seat this project has had different forms for a long time but like maybe this novel I was specifically writing over the last four like until today it's maybe been five years since I started the novel yeah. but I mean all my writing dreams were born in Los Angeles so like being in the setting where the book takes place like where my dad lives um, and died no. My sister was like, how do you feel? How do you feel that Sasuke killed you and was like pointing at the cliff and
0: our walks. are wa- have, You have the exact cliff in your mind?
1: We, yeah, 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 absolutely. Then there's an actual like cave. My dad was like, that cave wasn't that big. I was like, I was a tiny child. It was enormous. I thought it was going to swallow you. Yeah. You know, I was really, but yeah. We're, our, 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 my sister came to visit this week because um, she kindly wants to come to the Book Soup event on Friday, yeah, which yeah. I just, I love her. Now I got to be, meet my niece as well. But, um, and her, anyway whole family situation uh we've been taking like walks and stuff along the cliffs as we always do but now it's like ridicule my dad walks and like joke about him dying it's it's been fun
0: that that that's actually that's there's just i i find it beautiful and amazing because you what you've done is you've created this work of art that they are tapping into and it's just it's it's how weird is it to have, how weird is it to be a published author now? I, I mean, is it weird or does it feel like this is what was supposed to happen?
1: I mean, it's, it's, not, now there's an Oscar speech. It's, it's just, it's just an honor to be published. It doesn't matter what happens to the book. Like, but it is, it is. Really, oh, it matters. Yeah, it's really, but it's been, so I used to work as a publicist when I oh, um, okay. went to, uh, when I finally found a job in literary publishing, I was working as a publicist for Grant and Magazine. Okay. And so I've, used to plan these really big tours that were all about community building around the magazine. Yeah. And I've worked with my publicist to plan a really similar tour for this book. And so I've finally gotten to go see the people that I've worked with when I was like secretly typing a novel and like meet booksellers that I've only ever emailed with and stuff like that. And like just to meet readers and to sort of see people respond to the book. Yeah. And I, it's just, it's out of this world. Yeah. And also it's hard to it's still kind of hard to compute yeah you know but it it, it feels good
0: did you want uh, so when i was younger when i went to the library um i would go to the where my name would be in the shelves and i would just be like oh i'll be i'll, I'll be right behind lawrence durrell who was henry miller's friend and he's, he's i forgot the names of the books he wrote but i was like if I have a book out, it would be right here. When I, I would always go to, <clears throat> to that part of the library. When I say when I was young, this is in my twenties when I finally figured out what books were. <laughs> but, um, <laughs>
1: it takes a while, right? I feel like it took me a while to connect like directors to films and authors to books. Like I was more about titles than it was about authors. I think as a young reader, does that yeah. make sense?
0: Yeah. I Well, I was a Jehovah's Witness, so I can only read the Bible and <inaudible> publications like that. So I didn't. I couldn't read so-called worldly literature and. Until I just gave myself permission to, but yeah, but I don't know. Seeing yourself on the shelf and then seeing, do you see who's next to you on the shelf? Are you that? Are you like that weird like me? I guess not. You you look. You're like oh, you're looking at me like, that's just strange, Tony.
1: <laughs> I, no, not at all. I was thinking about libraries because I used okay. to spend a lot of time taking out those like. Are there like time life books about stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. about fairies. And then I was all I was super into serial killers when I was little. So I was like I was just like I have a really strong memory of going to the library and reading about Jack the Ripper. Uh-huh. Um, but What's just, the, what,
0: what is it about women and serial killers cuz i feel like especially in tv they're 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 shooting for the genre of the woman viewer i don't like i like with my ex girlfriends they're into the serial killers they have all the books i can't look at them i can't read them i don't know what it is
1: I feel like I could have a much better answer if I would have already read Alice Boland's Dead Girls, because I'm, I'm guessing that book might give me all the answers. But like the Black Dahlia, like yeah, I'm really yeah. into sort of L.A. lore and L.A. history yeah, in general. Yeah. And Black Dahlia was one of those stories that really captured my imagination, right. you know, and so I, I just have super early memories of that kind of thing. And maybe it's maybe, maybe there's an, I, I, an identification with the Dead woman, or
0: oh, interesting. I'm I'm
1: wondering if oh, okay. you know you, and maybe to, sort of cycling back, maybe it has something to do with sort of this feeling of the gaze as well, you know, and how
0: g a z e
1: yes, <laughs> and like how, s- how comfortable and safe one is able to feel in a public space, maybe.
0: That's intriguing. My buddy just came down from San Francisco, and we went to Hollywood Forever, and she's like, "Where's Jane Mansfield's grave?" As we're like at the Ramones grave, you know and I'm like, "Who's Jane Mansfield?" And I had to look it up, and it's like, "Oh wow, she was brutally murdered! Holy crap!" Car crash, or was it a car crash? Oh yeah, okay. I'm getting I'm getting my murders mixed
1: up. I, I think Jane Mansfield was the sort of uh, Church of Satan related stuff. Oh, like the okay. the idea was that Leve had put this giant curse on everybody. There's another documentary that's like half footage half like half archival, half um, acted, um, yeah, called yeah. I think six six slash six seven, I think. Really? Yeah, and there are all these crazy dance numbers from I want to say like the students of the univer of some university in the north of England yeah, yeah. who I think yeah, I don't know. It's basically about uh LeVay and, and Jane Mansfield. It's 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 fun. I
0: love Satan now that I'm out of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Satan's rad.
1: He's a lot of fun and he's a great archetype.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I used to do radio with a the- Anton LaVey's daughter, Carla LaVey. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's a sweetheart. It's, uh, sometimes I felt a little bad for her because of all the kind of pressure because I think she does the Satanic Church, mm-hmm. which has a very different philosophy than the Church of Satan, which is her stepbrothers or something like that. Anyway, that's a whole other show. But <laughs> yeah,
1: no, no. I mean, and then, like, the Satanic Temple has a documentary that's out right now called maybe something with the word Satan in it. Um, I can't remember, but I I wanted to see it. I think it's playing at the Arclight or something. But um, yeah, I think it's really interesting, all the sort of splinter groups as well and, and how very much like... No, Church of Satan is this, but Satanic Temple is this. And I, I find that quite fascinating.
0: I, I find it almost sad because it's like, can't you all just get on the same page and just be like Satan? And then, and then I would get a Satan sticker. But if I get a Satan sticker for my car, they're not going to know which tribe of <laughs> Satan I am in. And then it'll confuse people. And then I'll have my tires
1: slashed. Yeah, can't we all agree that we want to like, free ourselves from certain social shackles? <laughs> yeah. That's all I want in life. That's so funny. Aww. Well, hail Satan!
0: <laughs> hail Satan! Yeah, yeah. That, actually, uh, we're we're not done yet, but that is the that is what we say at the end of every episode of Drinks with Tony.
1: <laughs> oh, if only I would have known, I would have. Uh, I am wearing all black. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're
0: totally Satan. Like right right when I saw you, when you we're at the alcove in Los Feliz, and I was just like, oh, the, oh, there, there's the there's the writer, and she's into Satan.
1: It's only because my husband decided to wear a Hawaiian shirt today, so I felt like I couldn't wear the Hawaiian wrap skirt that I've like stolen slash been given by my stepmother.
0: Really, you can't match. Ma- matching couples are weird.
1: In German, it's called partner look. In the English really? word, yes. Okay. Oh, look, they're doing partner look. Yeah.
0: And in Ge- and in Germany, is that something that's like, oh, they're doing partner look. Wow, what a shame. Or they're doing partner look. How cute.
1: Maybe both, depending on who's looking. Okay. <laughs> But it happens, partner. Look, I, I feel like it's more like, hey, partner. Look. Yeah, yeah. But maybe there's a bit of irony to it. Right, yeah.
0: right. Now, you, so your husband's wearing a, a Hawaiian shirt. I didn't get to see him. Does he have a, like a really thick mustache, like Tom Selleck, too?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's got a really nice facial hair. Yeah. Does he? Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, like mine?
1: Um, he has had a uh, proper, like, big twirly imperial. Yeah, yeah. But he is
0: this what this is called an imperial? Uh, if I, if I. I actually did some
1: work on it. Yeah, yeah, but you've got great facial hair. <laughs> yeah. No, he's got a, he usually has, he's he's very, yeah. plays a lot with his appearance, which I really enjoy. So you, you met your
0: husband in London? I did, yeah. I, and when did you guys get married?
1: 2013.
0: Mm, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So that's like, you're four years in, but you've been we're, together. We're a decade in. You're I
1: mean, a decade we're, in? We're a decade yeah. into... Being a couple, yeah. Oh, okay,
0: that's great. What do, can I ask you? What your husband does?
1: Yeah, I just did,
0: but you can tell me to shut the fuck up.
1: <laughs> no, it's fine. He's a he's a writer. He's also working on a novel. Okay. Um, and then he and his uh, mother have a documentary production company together. So he's always made documentaries, and he so there's that, and then he also composes music. So he's much many has many many more talents than i do well he certainly has more talents that i really envy yeah. and wish i also could play music as effortlessly as he could i
0: feel like musicians have a the the thing with music cuz i used to cover music for the san francisco chronicle and the the thing about okay, i don't interview musicians anymore not because i don't adore them and i you know they change my life and change my mood there's just almost like this mathematician i'm i'm, more, I'm when i'm when i'm talking to a musician like especially when they get into the doom stoner metal stuff it's about the equipment it's about how it works and i have no connection to that i want to know what the heart process is and they don't want to talk about that they want to talk about the you know kind of keep an image and at the same time kind of stay away from that
1: i have no experience of musician in that sense yeah
0: good then we'll stop right there on that subject um How was it, because I I know it's very hard on some couples when they're in a relationship, when one gets published, and actually before my book was published, right before I started getting, putting it out, I got a divorce, and it was really messy divorce, and then I found, and then when when I was about to, when my book was going to be adapted to film, and I was going to write the screenplay, and I was in a relationship with someone who I thought I might have kids with, that immediately dissolved which I'm very happy that happened because that would have been a problem anyway it's hard, it's so much harder to stay together from my point of view when someone is when someone's writing and has a book coming out how do how did it work out with you or, and your husband what's the success story is what I'm asking how do I I'm not even asking for the audience I'm asking for me for my next relationship how did, what's the what's the secret to really pulling together when, especially when one's a writer, and, and I mean, and those last drafts, they're 16-hour days for me.
1: So. I mean, I came back and I stayed in the sort of dark downstairs room of my parents' house and just okay. locked myself away for three weeks to finish yeah, the book. Yeah. But, um, I mean, David and I met, and we both dreamed of being novelists. Really?
0: Yeah. Oh that oh my god, you just made my heart so warm. <laughs> That's so beautiful 10 years ago. And so you're 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 the first one out the gate and then he's he's got how, is he finished with his novel or is he still working yeah, on he's it?
1: He's like he's like halfway through and um like so I did my research for my novel in like 2004 five, six, right? Yeah, yeah. And wrote my novel say 5 years ago, starting 5 years ago this novel in this form. You know, but his book he's doing his research sort of now yeah. or it, it, as he's writing so uh, and also i mean what, what i guess is really important is that he was really instrumental in making sure that we had a stable place to live uh-huh. so he kind of gave us home security
0: yeah.
1: and took a sort of couple years really working intensely on documentary projects to ensure that both of us could like have oh, yeah. a really stable living situation yeah. so You know, there's that give and take. And so. And
0: and he was deep into his creative outlet because working on a documentary is no picnic. It's that's that's as crazy as being a novelist.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of his all of his work is creative. He's been a creative freelancer since longer than I've known him. I mean, he's he's really remarkable. Like my family's all business. And so to see him and his family be, you know, working, thriving people in the arts um, was really inspiring to me. Like in that sense, I feel like he's taught me that I can go ahead and be a freelance arts professional. Um, and I mean, that's like a huge gift, just that yeah. feeling that you can do it. You know, like like Janet speaking to me, like I could actually be a person who could write a novel. Sometimes it just takes that tiny little thing to keep you on your path, right? And not, not giving up. And I think really importantly, because what's it like being a novelist? Everybody tells you about the novel they wanted to write. And I feel like I've had so many conversations with, I've been on book tours since the beginning of March. uh uh-huh. Um, UK, Toronto, all throughout the U.S. kind of thing. Um, and I feel like I, I talk to people a lot about t- prioritizing their time. They're like, how did you do it? I'm like, oh, I just prioritized it. Yeah, yeah. And I know that can mean a lot of different things for different people, but sometimes I was prioritizing it in the sense that all I was able to do for a period of time was maybe look at it every day or read a couple pages. Yeah. And even that like, kept me on track. Even in p- long periods where I couldn't write for reasons of too much other work or, you know what I mean?
0: Oh, yeah. I, I feel like you have to have, the, the, writing a novel is a relationship. And so if you don't even, if you have to put in time every day to your novel, even if it's blank pages, even if it's just, there's, there's something where, like, especially if I feel like I'm off something for a day, it's not like I've lost three days. If I'm off it for two days, then I've lost a week because I have to get reacquainted with it again in a weird way. It almost feels like a relationship unto itself.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um,
0: what, was, what, now, what is there a specific moment with Janet Fitch where something she said that really clued you in? Do you have like a moment in your mind that, where you went, that was, that was what set me through to going, yes, I can do this.
1: I mean, I really think it was just that first day she walked into class. Really? Yeah. And I mean, maybe it, she did this. She does this great writing exercise where you she gives you like a word and you all go away and write to like a double sided page, 12 point, double spaced, just like for, you have to use that word. That's the only rule. Yeah. And I don't know. I rem- it was just something that I would written. And she was like, if you're really interested in writing a story that's like based entirely on lists of objects, you should check out some Ulipo writers. And it was just little things like that that suggested to me a way of thinking that I wasn't all that I wasn't doing of myself, yeah. and kind of sparked a sort of curiosity and I guess interest in making other kinds of connections. It shaped my thinking, yeah. like little things like that. Like it's incredible the tiny things we place inside yeah. people that change them and then never leave them.
0: Yeah. You know? And it's that—that's what I love about. It's not the big moments. It's those weird little moments that we that well for me personally that I don't think mean that much at the, at the time. And then I look back years later and I am like that meant everything to me. That's why I became, that's why I went that route.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm like racking my brain. I'm like, oh, find, find an example. But I, I can't think of one right now. Yeah. <laughs> Other than the one I just told you. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. It's, it's, I, I just, so the, the film, that based on my novel, it came out last year. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so uh, at the at one of the screenings in San Francisco, one of my good friends Alan Black came to, to the screening, and um, he's he's very Scottish and he's very stoic, and uh, everyone in San Francisco knows who Alan Black is. He, and He's a good writer as well, great writer, and um, and he's got a thick Scottish accent. So anyway, I see him after the screening, and he just he just came up to me and he gave me the strongest bear hug, and he's like, Tawny, he's like that you did it you put what was meant on the book to the screen and he just he kept talking and I was just like weeping I'm like I'm just going I was like Alan stop you're making me cry I gotta go hang out with the after party people but it was just that moment meant everything to me probably was the best moment of the film festival circuit was Alan giving me the hug and not doing the Q&A with all these famous people that I adore you know
1: those moments when people like are there to like bear witness to, to everything so my I met my one of my sister's best friends when we were kids and she she reminded me that even at 15 I was like I'm going to be a writer because if you ask me this question flat out I'm like no I mean I did wanted to do film first you know but um and we were kind of talking about it. and she's a painter um an artist also like multimedia um and so I mean it was just really powerful to be sitting you know Many more than fifteen years later, yeah. having this conversation that I like re- being reminded of like a younger self, and for her to sort of be there and like those are the moments. These like people who've witnessed you throughout these times, or the moments because I want to know what was it like to see your book on the shelf? Like what what D's were you around? Um, were you around the expected D's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Lawrence Durrell. Yeah. um And I mean, I still get a kick out of seeing my book on the shelf, yeah. and I'm, I'm just I go i was like, oh, crap, there it is. Because, I mean, you know, what are we, about nine years out since it was first published? And it just, it still doesn't feel like it. It's still, I still don't, I, I don't know what it is. It's like, I just know there's a book out. And I guess there's kind of a, I guess when I was writing it, there was a delusion. I had to be in this delusional phase of, this is going to be the greatest book ever. I can't wait to get the Man Booker Prize, and then when they adapt it to the film, and I and I have to go get go get my Oscar and do my speech, and I think I think I need to think that way with every project, and then have the you know then have the disappointment after. So it's,
1: I mean, you have to, and then there are the moments where you're just like the worst writer ever, and everything is terrible, and this book is never going to yeah, get done. Yeah. I mean, it's really it's a really exhausting process in that sense those like i i mean i swing between those like extreme highs and extreme lows but i also think like i think i was you know confronting the fantasies that you have about what you're going to be like as a writer and what publishing is going to be like has been a really intense but kind of wonderful in that difficult way part of the process like um when i turned 30 and i hadn't finished a novel nowhere close you know there was like i remember that being like a really key moment where like a kind of patience was born there's was like, what was I churning towards? Yeah. Why did I want to have a book published before 30? What was the point? Like, and then it's like, well, I have this fantasy of like a certain kind of lifestyle. Like, maybe I'm imagining like Tama Jamavitz or whatever, you know, like, I, I don't know. Like, I guess it, I guess I thought, well, because then it would have opened more doors for me, maybe, uh, you know, and you just think about, well, what was, ac- what are the constituent parts of that fantasy? Yeah. Um, and most of the time I found out that the fantasy's just kind of been like baloney and something that I can't control anyway. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I have a, f- a childhood friend of mine who's one of my like readers of the book who really helped me. He writes for television You know, and we were now he's amazing. He's one of those people that I just think knows how to do everything. And he's uh-huh. so good with story, but he was telling me. Oh, we were like, I was like, yeah, you know, and my book got, I feel like I don't know the exact definition of the word, but like it got options. So like a production yeah, yeah. company has it and they have it for 18 months and we'll see what cool. happens. Yeah. You know, and he's got some projects that are going out and we were both just like, you know, two kids who grew up in LA. We we're like, yeah, that's so exciting. But you know, whatever, it's like probably not going to happen. Right. You know, like, and that's, yeah, I feel like that's maybe the, the healthy way to approach yeah, things. Yeah. Like you have all your dreams, you do all your good work and then it's just somebody else's and then yeah. it's kind of out of your hands yeah. you know you can do some hustling you can do some networking but really that's like it's like meeting the one right, right. like you just kind of have to trust and keep your eyes open
0: and, it, and it's just and at the same time the um i don't know i forgot what i was gonna say <laughs>
1: I also was losing it when I was talking about my buddy because I was like we were sitting on the beach and it was Manhattan beach and we always go to Man- yeah like yeah. it was like an ocean vacation which is yeah. so I feel like people of Los Angeles please visit the beach more often cuz I can't believe how I did not visit the beach as often as I could when I lived here. <laughs>
0: and you were closer to the beach. Like what like I I don't I've been to the beach probably four times in the last 6 years since I've been here. That's my fault. But at the same time there's the traffic issue, and do I really want to cross the 405, the, what I call the Berlin Wall of Los Angeles? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, so I think there was, a, there was definitely a kind of class issue with beach, I think, because my dad lives really close to the beach in San Pedro, yeah. like an accessible actual beach, not one you have to like trespass to get to. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, when we were like snotty little teenagers, you wanted to go to the other beaches. Yeah. You know, and and that mentality is so ridiculous, but actually in a a way like it became like if I want to go to the beach, I always think the beach is that away rather than the beach that's like right there. And so, I mean, that's been corrected since because that's a really lovely beach.
0: Um, Well, when you're a teenager, you want you're trying to explore and you want to go. You're like, hey, wait a second. That's the family beach. Everyone knows about that. But let me go to my little secret, even though it's not a secret, but it's like yours.
1: So my favorite thing about Los Angeles, I guess, is trespassing. Uh-huh. Like,
0: <laughs> what about assault and battery? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but like, I, I lived in—I was living in downtown. Like, my dad's business has always been downtown, so I feel really like I've known the city, like the the city center, this anyway downtown, really well for a long time. And you know, when I was living down there also in the early 2000s, it was just like go into the Broadway theater and you know, cause for some reason the doors were always open and you could just kind of, you could just kind of go in. Yeah. But then also what do you do when you're a teenager in suburbia and there's not much to do and you don't have a, you're not 18 and maybe you don't have a fake ID. Like I just did a lot of sneaking around the area and like, like walking along the cliffs and like finding different beaches and um, you know, my favorite spot, oh God. You know, it's definitely trespassing, but there's this building that used to be a home and is now something else. So there's no one there at night. And there's this like ledge. One time I went there wearing a black pencil skirt in leather and I just tore it. And I was just like, you're such an idiot. Don't trespass in like black leather. Anyway, um, I wanted to impress a boy. And, (laughs) but there's this platform and it, like, looks out over, like, the queen's necklace, like, all, from, like, Redondo all the way up to, like, Point, that you can just see forever, and all of those glittering lights, and laying there with the ocean, and the acoustics are so beautiful, because they're quite kind of tinny or echoey. And just laying there under the stars on this, like, platform, looking out over the ocean, like, it's just it's just one of the most beautiful things. I'm not an evil trespasser. I just really like to find quiet spaces. Or, like, Marineland, where I used to find all the porn. <laughs> yeah, discarded porn amidst the, like, empty, like, drained aquarium, aquarium situations. You know, the place where you could go snorkeling and then there was, like, a faux coral reef that was now just faux coral reef inside, essentially, a swimming pool. That was, like, a drained swimming pool. Yeah. Really? Totally. Mm. Yeah, yeah,
0: Um are you, are you working on something now? Are, 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 do you have the novel buzz in you now where you're, like, you're rocking?
1: I do. I mean, so the next, like, I've got a ton of sort of short pieces I need to write, sort of stories and essays that I've said yes to because my gosh, like I'm like yes every opportunity, please, because this is never going to happen again because you're all gonna forget about me and this is this is the beginning and the end.
0: I I think I think (laughs) that you really say that's really important to understand. People don't realize when you have a novel out, there is an urgency of I have a three month window because everyone's gonna forget about me. And,
1: yeah. and I mean, I feel like I should trust because like the community that I had built as a publicist was still there. Yeah. And I'm like, OK, people have long memories. Like book publishing is a long memory sort of business. But I'm I am I actually I would. I We were talking about Satan. <laughs> and, and I.
0: Porn and Satan.
1: I know I'm I'm highly employable <laughs> and I will take care of your children. Yeah. I I was working as a nanny right before I started working at AVN and when I when I left taking care of small children to go work with pornographic content I was just like I bet you that family thinks that they made a huge mistake and sometimes I'm like I hope my book gets on their radar so they're like no no she's like a legitimate person who didn't just like she wasn't I, I fear that they were worried that I was a terrible human or something or judge I I worry about a judgment that they might have passed on me sometimes yeah
0: have you, have you ever thought about reaching out to them, and getting in touch uh
1: sometimes yeah. yeah, i hadn't really thought about it i'm usually not i haven't been in l a like long enough, I guess, um on these trips, like they've been so busy and so directed elsewhere yeah, yeah. no they were they were lovely, and I love those kids, but it was just i mean I suppose. Let me backtrack. I don't know if I was afraid of judgment, but just the narrative of, like, I was your nanny and now I've gone to work with adult content. I just thought that maybe wasn't... I, I don't know how conservative they might have been, actually. I mean, they, they, they were lovely, lovely humans. Right. Liberal as far as I can... But you never know what people think about porn. Right. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. But, yeah, I, th- I'm really, really interested in religion in America. Oh, yeah. And I'm particularly interested in sort of the question of sort of... Satan and the satanic panic and stuff. So I'm working on a project along those lines, um, also set in LA, and yeah. that I'm sort of drafting and researching while I'm also thinking about a non-fiction project that is looking at activism and porn. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm probably going to pursue the nonfiction project first, yeah. I think, because I'm sort of really excited for it, and it might be good to let the next novel really take its time. I feel like if I started writing it right now, it would be way too similar to this novel. Like, I already when I was, like, plotting it, I'm like, this is the same plot structure. Yeah. This is the same kind of constellation of characters, like, mysterious woman across the street vibe, you know? And I'm just yeah. like, uh, eh, maybe you want to let permission have the mysterious dominatrix and client slash renter across the street and give your next novel, like, a different dynamic? Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. I don't know. I, it's... The, I think we grow as writers and, but, you know, we may, we kind of, what do they say? We have the same story we tell over uh, over again as novelists. It's just
1: That struck me so much with um, Elroy, right? Oh, yeah. Because I read My Dark Places and I was just, I was all over it. I mean, I read The Black Dahlia, like, way late into my Black Dahlia sort of fascination so at some point when I was at university, but... Um, yeah, no, I read My Dark Places, and then, like, I found, like, who's collected, I want to say, GQ pieces, or some, like, collected journalism, and, yeah, and, and I was just like, oh, right, here it is, yeah. and I had to kind of stop reading Elroy, because I, his wound is in his writing is so bare, and I, maybe having read My Dark Places, it just, I needed a kind of break from the intensity of, like, the... I felt alongside him which is a word that is uh, compassion or empathy yeah Yeah, there we go (laughs) yeah
0: well as novelists I think we have to be really empathetic because as we're writing we have to be empathetic to our antagonist as well as our protagonist we have to know every angle Uh, me that's the the way I go about it that's not everyone
1: it's funny I uh, read this scene with this um, kind of like Weinsteinian on a small scale agent called Van in the book so Van goes out on a date, it's like maybe not a date, yeah, but it's like a, yeah. well, you know I I just feel like there is a trickle down effect yeah. in terms of general behavior that because Hollywood is also a place, it trickles down into the so- social fabric of the city that is Los Angeles and it's interesting with like post Me Too etc to have kind of of a language and framework to discuss it because when I was writing Van, I mean, that was well before me too and I was like oh, is somebody like, how is this going to be read and was this just my experience am I, because I mean that's also the weird writerly fear that you're just like writing this nonsensical word that like do people actually talk like this, is this a thing that people do, you know, do I know how to be human or, I'm not sure um, but yeah, Van I don't know, I forgot what I was going to say about well, it,
0: um, it's where, um, it's almost like can i keep the readers trust because am i going am i going too far with my with my own weirdness that's how i
1: I mean i think i was there we go i think i was going to be i was being too cutting about van because i was so deliciously interested in just writing a bad man because it was very cathartic and then i read it at this really cool reading series in berlin um, Called the fiction canteen where you read works in progress and so I read that scene and the audience response was like generally really pro but there was a really vocal like couple people who were like why why does this man have no redeemable qualities and it was a really valid question why would Echo seek out her ex-agent's assistant who's now an agent himself with his own little shop um, if she felt that he had no redeeming qualities because she's not that calculating where she's just like person with power i'm i'm going to seek you out like she she liked him at one point liked him enough to feel safe enough after her father's death to reach out and think that maybe he could help her with something either communion just like communing with another person feeling in touch with la again maybe representation you know like she's she's flailing she he was a safe person to reach out to you know and so i added quiet at a late stage like Little bits in there that I hope made Van less of just a just a blanket bad man, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh.
0: How um how when when you were finished with the novel, and then you started to submit it, how many rejections did you get uh, along the way? Did you get a lot, or was or did the first person say, "This is great"? Here's money.
1: This is where you lose your audience. Really, the fr- you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, oh, no, I want to hear this. This is great. This is, no, no, no. I want all the experiences.
1: Um, okay. I feel like I've had an incredibly charmed process, and this is why. I think when I, when I finally got a job in literary publishing, because speaking of how unemployable I am with, like, Satan and sexuality and right. whatever, who cares, porn, one of the recruiters when I was trying to find a job in London said, and this was just one recruiter, but it was like, exactly the kind of moment that could like break you if you're in and i was certainly in a very like please i just need employment they were like mm, with your history in if their work history the kind of material you work with i just don't think you're going to find a job in publishing ever maybe a tabloid paper like a national Enquirer equivalent or something which is fine it's a totally legitimate job and i hear they pay fantastically but like I don't want to go work for the Daily Mail. Like, that that was not where my ambition lay. And also, how dare you put me in that tiny little box? Like, ask me some questions and find out about find out about me. Don't just, like, make an assumption. Anyway, so there are those, like, little kind of make-or-break moments. When I finally got my job in literary publishing, which was weirdly because Granta was having a launch party at the um, Coco de Mer, this um, really lovely education-focused high-end sex shop that I was doing some social media work for, Um, I was just there and I wanted to know everybody. And I, so I, I didn't, I wasn't very, I knew a lot of players, I suppose, in publishing and also, but more importantly, maybe felt comfortable. Like I was allowed to be there. So what, oh God, this is a long story. What happened was somebody that I used to book events with who has since become a good friend was a bookseller who then was a book to film scout who then, um, got really passionate about um, inclusivity in publishing and sort of feeling that we're really failing at bringing a range, a wider range of voices to the table. And so she got her own imprint at Little Brown and read my book. And because she knew me, I'm assuming assuming that's why she read it like immediately. She also called me immediately and said, I've just read your book. You've been talking about it forever. You can really fucking write and um, I'm like in Sweden at the book fair doing my usual like book fair hustle like please give me work for the next year I'm definitely available you know freelancer stuff and I was just like in my mom's apartment just like bawling because who does that happen to yeah on the American side I don't have an American publisher Uh ton of rejections and eventually um, we ended up with this lovely Canadian publisher Coach House and you know my experience with Alana Wilcox um This has just been fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So it's Charmaine Lovegrove in the UK for the readers who might, uh, for the listeners who might keep an eye on UK publishing as well. She's been doing really meaningful work.
0: What, but what is great about that is, in order to get the fantastic novel, you have to put in the work, and you put in the work that the you put in the hard work and the hard days and the days where. You felt like there was nothing happening. I'm going off of my experience and assuming that's your experience.
1: I mean, I feel like I've been carrying this. I have been carrying this book around me since 2004 and it's 2019. You know, I really did not think this was going to happen. You know, but it's it's, because I, I, I just thought I would never finish. And also, you know, I found my agent also in kind of a charmed way where somebody who I was already writing for, again, trade publications. This time it was books. Um, had said keep an eye on Saskia as far as I understand this is what happened and we started talking about translation and eventually I brought up that I was writing a novel and like those, it's really important to have those people who know who you are and that it can be small, it can just be like going to a reading and you know yeah. I, I guess also feeling that you're allowed to participate in this world even if you haven't published a novel right? You know that's, that's right. sort of that thing is really important yeah.
0: yes congratulations on your debut novel permission thank you so much saskia for being on the show
1: well, thank you tony this was so much fun it was so nice to meet you <laughs> now awkward awkward silence and uh yeah yeah
0: we just we we, we chain smoke and we just uh we, we walk uh, each our own direction yeah
1: with our rene- with our sense of like extreme intimacy yeah Yeah,
0: yeah. And and lost. Yeah, it's weird. It's awkward. It's awkwardness. Saskia Vogel this week on Drinks with Tony. Check out her debut novel, Permission. And keep reading them books. And if you write them books, well, write more. And if you enjoy Drinks with Tony, well, hell, come back next week. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next Wednesday on Drinks with Tony.